This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money Business Radio, Series XM Channel 132. I'm Ken Smothers, professor here in the Wharton campus in Philadelphia, and we're still not back in the studio due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but if you're looking for a fee-only financial advisor, you can always go to my website, kentonmoney.com. So the due date to file your federal income tax forms for 2020 has been moved from April 15th to May 17th. You're probably breathing a sigh of relief on that. Um, it actually does not apply to all returns, uh, or maybe it does. And so that's the thing that we're going to be talking about uh, today and whether you do if you owe some uh, money. And so uh, uh, coming back to the show is E. Martin. Uh, David Off, who is the managing director or partner with the tax controversy practice of uh, Pregus uh, Medis, and he's also a member of the uh, Prager Medis International Group. Uh, welcome back to your money, Marty. Great, great to be here, Ken. Thank you very much. And so the deadline has been uh, extended from April 15th to May 17th, at least for the personal side. Uh, it, it, it's described to you know what tax returns does this apply to and what tax returns it does it not apply to. Well, it applies to the 1040, your individual income tax return. Most of the states have also been adapting that, and and but you have to look state by state. Certainly in the, in the tri-state area here, they have. Uh, it does not apply for those who pay estimated taxes. The estimated taxes right now are still due on April 15th. So for those who do that, uh, the April 15th is the due date for your first quarter estimated taxes. But if you end up paying it late, it's a very, very nominal charge. It's like 0.12% if you figure out being right. a month late. But also the corporate returns and the trust returns are still due on April 15th. Yes. Uh, and private foundations uh, were always due on the May 17th deadline. So you know, that's kind of, you know, what's happening with due dates of returns. Yeah. So if you're a business owner and you have a, uh, a C-Corp and business return, maybe a pass-through, you, you still have to hit your normal filing uh, deadline. It's, this is really for individual tax returns. And so supposedly you can't pay your tax that you owe for 2020, on, even on May 17th. Uh, you know, what, what do you do? Okay. So first, I'm just going to go back just a little bit. The yep. pass-through returns were all due on March 15th, so the, that deadline is by, and hopefully you- Yeah, yeah, I'm that sorry. Time. Yep, that's right. The normal and time, and if, yeah. you, if, you, if you can't pay, you know, so, so the question is, you know, if you can't pay what you owe, there are lots of options. Um, the IRS likes you to keep current first, so you, you've got to pay your 2021. You know, if you can't pay 20 and maybe you owed money in prior years, you've got to get 2021 back on track. And for 2020, you can get an installment agreement. You can- file with your return at form 9465. The IRS will then look at that 9465 and they'll accept your, 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 your uh, installment agreement. If it's under 50,000, it's usually just automatic. And even for, for this time, even if it's over 50,000, they, they will usually accept your installment agreement, but they may ask you to put, they may ask to put a notice of federal tax lien. The IRS for 19 returns did not do that. They 
gave basically a free pass on the tax liens due to COVID. And we're not quite sure what they're going to do with 20, but generally, if it's over 50,000, they're going to put a notice of federal tax lien. Yeah. And what's the best manner to pay? I mean, people are thinking, do I mail a check? But, you know, this is a different year. So your thoughts? I, I, absolutely. Uh, there, there are alternatives to mailing a check, and we, we discourage that strongly. Uh, there are two basic ways to pay electronically. One is to go on the IRS website, www.irs.gov, and look for their direct pay, search direct pay. And if you get on there and do the direct pay, you can pay directly a specific payment. So uh, only two, two payments a day. Uh, most people don't have more than that, but you can make a specific payment. The other thing, and this is I encourage more strongly, there, there is something called the Electronic Federal Tax Payment System. Uh, and to go online, you go to www.eftps.gov for the Electronic Federal Tax Payment System. That's www.eftps.gov. And on there, you can set up an account. They send you a password in the mail. And after you get it set up, it is wonderful because it shows you a history of all your payments. You can get in now and say, okay, I want to pay this amount this month and this amount next month or the month after. You can pay installment agreements on, if you have an installment agreement with the IRS, you can pay your quarterly estimates. It is just a wonderful way to pay. And I've had clients doing that for many, many years. And in fact, you can authorize your accountant to make the payments for you. The third way of electronically paying is all of us CPAs have software that allows us to, pay, to electronically take the money out of the client's account with their permission, of course, and pay it to the IRS. So you can use your tax preparer to set up your estimates, to set up your uh, all, all of your payments for the IRS. In yeah. addition, the states, uh, New Jersey for sure, I, I believe also Pennsylvania, you can go on their website and you can schedule estimated payments. So mailing a check is not a smart thing. I would yeah. do whatever you can not to mail a check because you know the mail is not getting open uh, open timely. It's uh, you know there's uncertainty about it getting in. You know, if if you have a cash flow problem and mailing the check will give you a few more days, sure, do it, but send it certified mail, date stamped at the post office. So if you send it, send it on May 17th, you probably have till May 20th or 21st before it clears. So if you're really running tight up against the deadline and need to do that, um, you know, that would be the way to do it. But I, I generally, I would strongly discourage that. Yeah, yeah. And talk to me about tax professionals. Obviously, you're a fan. So is this a particularly good time to be using a tax professional? Or Well, I, I encourage, you know, if, if you have just wages and, and, you know, you're single and you have wages and no kids and no dependents, you can do it on your own through, through one of the commercial software. But when you start having children, it gets complicated. When you start having, you know, people who are divorced or separated, it starts getting complicated. If you have your own business, it starts getting complicated. Yeah. So in all those situations, I encourage that you use a tax preparer. That could be an enrolled agent, a CPA. Uh, I would encourage that you have somebody with one of those credentials. An enrolled agent is somebody who has taken a test with the Internal Revenue Service to be designated as an EA or enrolled agent. So I would encourage CPAs or enrolled agents for the people that you would use to prepare your tax returns. Um, I don't think I'd hire, you know, somebody who's, you know, at the back of a furniture store and, you know, you can use your refund to buy furniture, uh, although there are many, 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 many that are set up like that. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, this during this past year, a lot of people were working from home. They heard about the home office deductions and things like that. Obviously, things change um, over time. Um, so give an update about, you know, this post-tax cut and jobs act era about deducting home office expenses and of course the CARES Act and so forth is a modified a lot of tax issues as well. So tell us what the current state of affairs are about deducting the home office uh, costs. So the home office deduction has not changed for people in their own business working at home. Yeah. If you're in your own business working at home, you're a sole proprietorship, you're Schedule C, you can deduct a portion of your house that you use exclusively Yep. Um, for your home office, that's a requirement. You can't just be using the dining room table three hours a day and then say, okay, that's my home office because you're eating meals on it. The rules don't allow that. But the, 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 the tough issue is that now people are working at home for their jobs, their right. employees. And they're, in 2017, part of the you know, trade-off in reducing tax rates and allowing, you know, and allowing a higher standard deduction where that they eliminated miscellaneous itemized deductions. And those are deductions like for investment advisory fees and for tax advice. But as part of that, they also eliminated the home office for employees who worked at home for the convenience of their employer. Uh, they can no longer take that deduction. And nothing's changed for 2020 with respect to COVID. That still exists that you can't deduct your home office. Now, some people and employers have been working together, like the employers say, listen, um, you know, one, if you want, I, you can account for me for your home office and if I'll lower your salary and I'll, I'll give you an accountable plan and up to so much money, I'll reimburse you. Or some employers have just said, hey, listen, show me your increase in utility bills and I will reimburse you for that dollar for dollar and not show it as income because you're accounting to me for the increased utility costs, for that copier paper you bought, for that toner cartridge, for that camera you bought for the, for, for the thing, we'll buy you the camera uh, or we'll reimburse you for the camera. And so those kinds of things, you know, um, people, people are looking around to do that. But the home office deduction, you know, I have people who say, you know, who are just say, well, now I can finally get the home office deduction. And they can't because they eliminated that deduction from the law. Yeah. So in some sense, it's a backdoor way of achieving that. If your employer is, in fact, um, providing you with uh, see more reimburse or some reimbursement for your high electricity bill and so forth, that's presumably deductible as a cost from their side, right? Yes. And and yes. so in some sense, it's even better than the deduction. It's a full credit for your cost, assuming your employer is willing to do it. Right. Assuming you can work with your employer to do it. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you go, hey, listen, I'm running about $5,000 a year for my out-of-pocket expenses. You know, I know you don't want to pay that, but how about you lower my salary, you know, $5,000 and reimburse me. Now you have less taxes to pay on that money as long as it's, you know, meets the test of an accountable plan under the IRS rules. And there you would definitely need a tax professional, you know, uh, to, to work with you. Yeah, yeah. In particular, you really want to make sure you have um, grounds for really backing that up as reimbursement of costs rather than as income. So uh, now let's talk about like kind of off the books, you know, income. Um, sometimes people get this for either as a business or as an employee, and it's not 
necessarily, re, uh, you know, reimbursement from, you know, having to upgrade my internet from, you know, 10 megabytes per second to, you know, 100 megabits per second. It's something else. Uh, normally, we just think that's just regular income. Talk, talk about that. Well, you know, it's very interesting. And we, could, we should have a little bit of a conversation here about off the books income because, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, it's frequent in our nation. Uh, you know, there were people who this year, you know, would work at a small cafe or restaurant and said, listen, I can make more money on unemployment than working here. And the employer said, listen, I'll pay you off the books to be here. You can still collect your unemployment. <laughs> and the you know, employee would take money off the books. And, and basically, you know, that's a very dangerous road to go. Uh, off, every you're you're required to pay. You know, some people say you know like tips are tips for a waiter are a gift. They're not a gift. They're income for you, yeah. and you need to pick it up. And my basic stuff is report all your off, off the books income. You know, it's fair to everybody else because that's what's happening. Um, more and more people are being audited. You know, people are looking at their bank accounts and seeing what's there. And even if you're paying cash, you know, it's just the right thing to do. But yeah. if you don't do it, you're you're involved in criminal activity. You're saying, okay. I'm receiving money off the books, and because it's off the books, I now can collect unemployment. Or yeah. now my kids can get medical medical insurance from the state because my income is below a threshold. You know, some people get part, part paid part on the books and part off the books because they tell their employer, "Well, I can't make more than so much money," but they're making more than so much money, and they're cheating the system. And I'll tell yeah, you, yeah, and, and, and I think you brought up a good point, in particular, and what I was uh, partly trying to get at here is that you're not just committing tax fraud by having unreported income; you're also, you know, potentially committing criminal fraud against the unemployment system, against yep. so much of the other, you know, programs that are out there. I mean, this is serious stuff, and you just never know when that business that's paying. They presumably have records <laughs> that they're, you know, they paid you some money, and that could. If that ever gets, you know, found, that could get traced back to you. Yeah, serious, serious stuff. And you know, and you know, sometimes people, you know, like like as you go through the tax return, there are two very important questions that are asked on the tax return, and and some people miss it, and maybe a lot of your audience has it. You know, if you have somebody here in the United States who lives and is a legal resident, whether they're a citizen or a green card holder, yeah. they have to report their income worldwide. And mm -hmm. if they have a bank account abroad, they have to answer the question: Yes, I have a bank account abroad. And if it's over $10,000, you have to file an FBAR, a federal bank account reporting system. Mm. And a lot of, you know, there's no tax to pay, but a lot of people just start thinking, well, you know, it's abroad. I don't have to report it. Or maybe they're, they have a property that they own an interest in with their family. They came over to the United States and they own some property and they're getting rental income on it. That has to be reported in the United States. You have to report on your worldwide income. So people have to understand that. There's a new question on, you know, have you been trading in, have you, you know, been been trading in in currency, in yeah. in, in Bitcoin and and, yeah. and and currency like that, and the thing is, you know, when you receive when you trade at first, there's no tax, but when you sell it or use it to pay an expense, that's a transaction, and so there there's all kinds of complexities that are happening. So if you if if you're you know, in a cryptocurrency, if you have foreign bank accounts, you know, you need some uh, better, bigger advice. By the way, Kent, there was a new announcement uh, on Friday. Can I tell your audience yes, about that? Yes, yes, the personal All right. So, so on, on yeah. Friday, the IRS now said that all that personal protection equipment, the hand sanitizer, yeah. the masks, the sanitizing wipes, those are deductible medical expenses. Now, as you know, Ken, and we've talked about this before, you know, you only get to deduct medical if you're over seven and a half percent of your 
adjusted gross income for federal purposes. But in New Jersey, the threshold is only 2%. So a lot of you New Jersey listeners, you know, will be able to, you know, take, take this additional deduction. They'll get maybe get over the 2%. Maybe some people get over the 7.5%. But basically, this is a new additional deduction that maybe you might have wondered whether or not you could take it. The IRS made it clear in an announcement on Friday. They, made, they call it announcement 2021-7, where they made an announcement that's saying, we're, we're saying that these are deductible. And they can also be used if you have you know, FSAs, that they can get reimbursed through FSAs, which mm. more people have the ability to do. So you know, that, that's the other thing. And I, I don't know, did, did we talk about unemployment yet, Kent? Uh, quickly, yeah, but go ahead. Okay, so on unemployment, you can exclude for 2020 on your returns, $10,200 of your unemployment income. And if you already filed, because they just passed the law in March, if you already filed, don't file an amended return because the IRS is going to compute that and then send you back the refund or reduce the balance due on your tax. So that's another thing. Things are happening so rapidly. You know, keep an eye on irs.gov, look at the news there, uh, and talk to your tax, tax advisors, and, and they'll help you along. Excellent. Uh, uh, super useful information. Oh, as always, Marty, uh, thanks so much for coming back on the show. It's great to have you. You're very welcome and great to be here. And you can find out more uh, about Marty uh, Davidoff by going to his firm's website, which is PragerMedis.com. Again, PragerMedis.com. I'm Kent Smithers. So you're listening to your money. Remember, you can also connect with me on my own website, KentOnMoney.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 